All right, wrestling memories then and now here on Pioneer 90.1 KSRQ. I am the grizzled vet, Michael McCurdy. Glenn Broggett is on assignment this week. I am handling this interview solo, and I'm very proud to have this interview this week. We are being joined by none other than the authors of Lands by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. First off, we have Vinny Berry. Vinny, thank you for joining us again. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Anytime, man. Always glad to have you on. And also, we have the other author of the book, not just the author, but the subject of Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich, Mr. Lance Vaughn, known other to many of you as Lance Von Erich. Lance, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, thanks, Michael, for having me. I appreciate it. We've been uh, working on getting this interview in a while. You know, great book, by the way. I've highly enjoyed it. I've talked to Vinny about it a couple times. Amazing story. And that's what we're going to talk about this week on Wrestling Memories. We're going to talk about the story. We're going to talk about the creation of Lance by Chance. And just we're going to talk about kind of your in-ring career because a lot of people may not know the whole story. And we want them interested. We want them to get them to buy the book. So my first question for you, Lance, is, you know, you are out of the business. You've been away from the ring for, you know, decades. Well, we're going to go with that. You've been out of the ring for many years. What brought you back? What made you decide you wanted to tell your story and create what became Lance by Chance Wrestling as a Von Eric? You know, a lot of people actually uh, uh, kind of, like, reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in, you know, giving my story, and I never really, I never really was interested. You know, I've lived out of the state since, I don't know, 87. I guess, uh, somewhere around there. And, uh, you know, I had no desire to ever even talk about that part of the wrestling. You know, a lot of people don't know I wrestled for another 10 years in South Africa. <clears throat> and then uh, uh, he had come along, and we connected. And I I don't know, he, had, he, was, a little, he was charismatic. And, uh, you know, he said, listen, if you ever wanted to, you know, write a book, I'd be interested and then uh, I, I looked back up with him, contacted him, and said, you know what, let's give it a shot. And so I've been stuck with him for a couple of years now. <laughs> you know, it's not that big. It, it doesn't work as quickly as one would think. You know, it's a couple of hours every Sunday talking on the phone uh, and going over memories. And some of the memories weren't good memories. You know, the, the Dallas part wasn't uh, something I thought about, you know, at all, really, for all these years. Now, you know, to that to that point, um, as you said, you wrestled for about 10 years after, in fact, in South Africa. Um, I'm a historian. World class is my main story. I, I knew a lot about, you know, your career in Dallas as well as, you know, up in Portland. So, you know, when you started working with Vinny on the book and you started bringing back the memories, how was that for you? How was it to be able to kind of sit down and, you know, rehash the memories and kind of tell your side of the story because a lot of the story people don't know and what they do know isn't always the truth. Well, you know, it, 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 I, th I guess one of the things that made me kind of want to do the book is, um, you know, I a couple of times went on a wrestling site, and I don't really remember why I'd actually gone, but I saw, you know, I'd seen what people had actually written, you know, like – pretty nasty about, uh, you know, the, the way that I had left uh, Devon Eriks and that I was, you know, it wasn't me that created that whole thing, you know, uh, but they were mad that I wasn't really a Von Eric, and I, I thought that was really strange, so I, I, I felt like, 
you know, maybe I will tell my side of the story. And, you know, it, it was hard going back, and it was hard to remember that because a lot of it I actually put out of my mind. You know, the, the South African portion was a lot easier to write because I remember it. Number one, you know, I was not, you know, uh, I was sober during that time. And uh, in world class, we were all taking, you know, I mean, we were partying hard. So a lot of it, <laughs> you know, was hard to remember just because of that. Now, when you were first approached about, uh, you know, by when David Manning first approached you about getting your wrestling, you were hesitant because, you know, you weren't, you didn't watch wrestling, you weren't saying, what, what, what drew you in? What made you decide, you know, I was going to give this a shot? Like I said, I, you know, I've seen what people had actually posted and they didn't know the real story. You know, what, what I think would have actually worked a lot better for the Von Erics is just to let me, you know, just, sail out into the, you know, uh, I would have never come back to, I wasn't planning on coming back to the States. So, you know, I was, I was on my way out and if they hadn't said anything, they would have never heard from me again, you know? So I, I think it was detrimental to them. I, I think that they should have never, uh, you know, um, gone on television and said that, you know, that I wasn't a one Eric. They could have just written me out any way other than that. I think that the problem was they thought I was going to go to work for uh, in New York for McMahon. Okay. Now, before you started in uh, World Class, you were up in the Portland Territory working with Don Owens, who is going to be going into the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame this year in the uh, the, the promoter division. That was where you got your training. Um, Portland is another territory, much like Texas, very hot territory at the time, lots of big names go through there, and like I said, that's where you started your training. Um, tell us a little bit about your, your Portland time, because in the book, your introduction to the Portland boys is like one of my favorite stories. You know, I actually, I like Portland a lot. Portland a lot. I like it actually a lot better than, you know, Texas for a couple of reasons. The territory was a lot smaller, so the drive, you know, most of the nights, you know, it was a pretty easy pretty easy shot. You didn't have to leave until, you know, afternoon. And so you could live kind of a normal life. Um, and it's a beautiful state where, you know, Texas is a start. Where, where are you at right now? Where are you based? I'm in Fort Worth, actually, right in the, the old world-class territory. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a... I'm not a Texas fan. I, you know, I mean, it's a big meaning. <laughs> it's a big state, and it was very difficult to, you know, to travel, um, you know, far and long, and you know, it was a, it was a, a hassle going to the the towns a lot of times because it's just so far. Uh, where Portland was not only a beautiful drive, you know, almost everywhere you went was just gorgeous, but. Uh, um, the, the, the towns were easy to get to. I learned from Sandy Barr and Jerry Gray. Uh, they used to go down and, and with Steve Simpson, and they used to practice with us. And I got a lot more t- training there than I did in, in Dallas, and I guess that was the idea. Uh, but uh, Don had asked me, he, said he was afraid that I was going to leave. He didn't really know what, you know, how I was going to leave, but he was afraid I was going to leave. And he told me, he goes, listen, you need to be here two more years, and then you need to you need to learn. This is a local television, you know the the Dallas television is much stronger television, and you know you're going to put in 
a situation which was going to be very difficult for you, you know. And he didn't know I was going to be over on Eric, I don't think, at that time. I don't know if he did or he didn't, but, uh, um, you know, that if I had something to do over and I was to do this whole thing over again, I would have stayed in Portland a couple more years. Now, what was it like working with Don Owens? Because a uh, very respected promoter, and like I said, Portland was a, a major territory. Uh, what was it like working with him at that time? He was a he was he, he was a, a he's a small guy. He was a very strong character, and he actually uh, you know it was funny because his son Barry was so much the opposite, you know. And Barry was on the road, and Don was always you know uh, in Portland Sports Arena, and uh, he used to go back and. You know, tell me, Ricky, you need to go out there and you need to do this, you need to do this. And he'd grab me a headlock and yank me around. And it, it was very comical, you know. Um, and where Barry would be on the road with him and Barry, you know, uh, Don never came with us. And he, Elton, his uh, brother, was in, uh, in Eugene. So he ran Eugene. You know, and uh, he was uh, much older, seemed much older than Don. And so, um, it, it, he was a character. I liked him a lot. Now, after your time in um, in Portland and the Oregon Territory, you were sent up there to train because that was the, uh, when you read the book, that was the initial idea, send you up there for training, and then they brought you back into Texas where you were introduced um, as a cousin of uh, Lance Runner. And that was during the time when Mike was out with Toxic Shock, David had passed, and they, Kevin and Kerry were working like double shots because a Von Eric name on the card was, you know, what you wanted. And so when you went into Texas and they introduced you as Lance Von Eric, the cousin, you weren't just introduced on TV as, you know, a, a cousin, a family member. You know, according to the book, and you're, you were invited or not invited. You were asked to attend the funeral. You were asked to be – you basically became a, a family member in real life because – here in Texas, you know, the Von Erichs, they have an image for What was that like, not just being in the ring wrestling as a Von Erich, but you were supposed to be there as a member of the family for very personal family moments? Yeah, I, it, it, a bit uncomfortable. You know, it was kind of strange, actually. It's kind of uh, surreal. Um, and in another way, I mean, I was pretty good friends with, with Carrie. Carrie and I had the same, you know, uh, uh, I would say some of the same interests. You know, we were both into, you know, bodybuilding and all that. I, the thing that was very hard for me was, you know, I was on the road working, you know, two shots a day. So, you know, it's in the book. You know, I, I went from having a really good body to a pretty bad body because I was hurt all the time and I wasn't able to work out. Had a horrible diet and on the road. Um, and, you know, I went to Carrie's house quite often, and I was friends with, with Carrie, and I didn't hang around the rest of them. You know, I liked Doris, as, you know, I had said. She was, I thought was really nice. You know, and uh, Fritz was very imposing, and, you know, a, a lot of people didn't like, you know, being around Fritz, because when they were around Fritz, obviously he, uh, you know, he was... Um, yeah, he was very gruff with people. Mm-hmm. Now, when you when you came in, you were introduced, 
And obviously, like I said, here in Texas and, and the world-class territory at that time, the Von Erichs were basically, they were true. Von Erichs, the Freebirds, they were rock stars. Everybody loved the Von Erichs. They still love the Von Erichs here in Texas. You can't bring up the name without someone wanting to talk to you for 20 minutes about, you know, Carrie and Kevin and David and all them. Um, when you first came in, you start wrestling as a Von Erich. What was the, the crowd like and how did it feel to be in there, you know, being recognized as a Von Erich is, it was, a, it was a big spotlight. It was kind of crazy because within the first, I don't know, four or five months, um, anywhere I would go, you know, I, it, it was crazy because I would sit there and for, I'd go out to eat and I would have people nonstop coming up to the, you know, to the tables. And I tried to sign everybody's, you know, I tried to be, I, actually, I, I went out of my way to, you know, to sign people's autographs and that, but it was just crazy. And the funny thing is, you know, when it, when it was happening, I actually, I got to where I hated it. And whenever I actually left, you know, after, you know, I kind of disappeared within, I don't know, six months, it just was completely, it had gone the other way. It was just dead, and I hated that. So it was kind of weird. I hated it on both ends, you know, with, with all the recognition. And then I got so used to it that none of, no recognition at all was, you know, horrible as well. Now, you mentioned Fritz and working with him, and, he's, and I've heard these stories many times before, but working in the Sportatorium, the Sportatorium, much like you also got to work in the uh, the Portland Sports Arena, very iconic, very iconic auditoriums. Um, what do you remember about getting to work in the Sportatorium? Because it was hot as hell in the summer, and then you would freeze in the winter. But what were your memories of the Sportatorium? <laughs> you know, I, I it was funny because I remember, you know, when I first, before I'd even – I didn't grow up wanting to be a wrestler at all. That wasn't my ambition, is to, to become a wrestler. Um, but it was crazy because I remember, you know, I always heard about the world-class, you know, world-famous sportatorium. So I'll never forget, you know, when I first drove up and went into the back door there and, you know, I watched the match uh, with Kerry there, and uh, that was my first you know, first night to actually sit there and watch. And uh, I thought, what a dump. <laughs> you know, and then I remember I had a friend from Israel come. Uh, he wanted to see the world-famous sportatorium. I remember driving up in, the, in Hebrew, so they said, Matomer. He's like, what happened? What's happened here? You know, it was kind of funny. And he says, this is world-class, you know, famous sportatorium we see on television every Sunday. Oh, my God. He was also shocked. Definitely. But there's so much history to to the Sportatorium, not just in wrestling, but, you know, with, you know, the musicians that went through there. You know, Elvis Presley played at the Sportatorium. Johnny Cash was at the Sportatorium. The history of it is amazing. But, yes, uh, the building itself, I've been told, just not the greatest. Like I said, hot during the summer and cold during the winter. But it was still an iconic, you know, auditorium. It was, you know, I was always afraid, truly, I thought it was, I always was afraid that we would actually catch, you know, it It looked like a fire trap, it looked like it would burn down, you know, if a fire started in there, it would burn down within a matter of minutes, and, you know, you saw some of the, you know, the, the electrical wiring there, and you just wondered how it hadn't caught on, at least that's me, I wondered how it hadn't caught on far thus, thus, you know, thus far when I was looking at it, I was like, wow. You know, and then uh, 
Portland Sports Arena, I don't know if you actually, you know, uh, have ever been in there, but the, the ceiling's very low there. You know? And mm. it was very hard to, you know, to like get on the top ropes and that. It was just kind of a weird, you know, it was a weird, uh, uh, setup. And Eugene, you know, we used to wrestle uh, on a boxing ring, which was, it looked like it was about a meter and a half bigger in each, you know, uh, wider everywhere. And uh, I remember the floor being like a, like a rock. It was very difficult to take bumps on it. Yeah, the, uh, I'm actually, for, I moved here to Texas about five years ago. I'm actually from uh, California and uh, I've, been through the you know Portland, Oregon. I have family up that way, so I, I know the area very well. Uh, you did Portland. There was also Medford, Salem. Uh, you would do the occasional Roseburg spot, uh, I believe. You know, did you do that traditional loop in uh, Oregon, or was it mainly? Did you stay up in like you know Portland and uh, you know Salem and there? Oh, it was that. That was exactly what we did. Salem, Eugene. You know, uh, then we would. Once a week, go down to Eugene. That was all. Uh, sorry, in Medford, um, and that was a long trip. That was our longest trip that we had. Other than once in a great while, we'd go to Seattle. What's one of your uh, what, What's one of your favorite memories of uh, of uh, Portland? I always love to hear the stories from the guys that worked the territories back then. Um, you know, I I just I actually love the. You know, the, the wrestling crowd was actually really great, too. They were, you know, they were, uh, at least the, the women, you know, would actually follow us to all these towns. And they would take, you know, uh, a bunch of cars and follow us into everywhere we would go. Um, but what I remember the most about, you know, uh, the territory there was just how beautiful it was. You know, I, I just never got tired of making the drive. Mm -hmm. Did you ever stay at the bomber? Nope. That was for the heels. All the heels stayed there. That's great stories about the bomber. Yeah, I never even went over there, funny enough. Uh, Steve Simpson and I lived together in a one-bedroom apartment. I slept in the living room. He slept in the bedroom and uh, uh, on 82nd Street, which back then was like you know, uh, borderline ghetto. I heard now it's like horrible in that area. But uh, yeah, we lived next to a Kips Big Boy. <laughs> we used to go out to eat. You know, we used to eat breakfast every day there at the Kips Big Boy. Yeah, the Portland Sports Arena is now a. Uh, there's a church where it, it, in that building now. Oh wow! Are they still shooting? Uh, are they still? Do they still have a territory there? Um, they, they do, uh, it's been, it's gone through a few, um, incarnations. Uh, Frank Culbertson was the last promoter that ran up in the Portland territory, but there are a lot of independents in, in the area that work there. So, you know, there, there's still definitely an independency and right now, obviously due to the pandemic, nobody's promoting, but no, much like Texas, the Portland scene has, uh, picked up with all the, uh, indie groups that are coming through and there's a lot of talent going in, you know, and they still pay respect to the Portland, uh, you know, wrestling area. But, you know, one of the things I, I do, it was funny that I did miss, I I I do miss of uh, uh, Portland, uh, you know, uh, time was, I had a good time with Ann. 
one of those really long ones. And I used to, you know, drive all the towns. And, you know, typically what would happen was uh, Bobby Jaggers would sit mm-hmm. in the front, you know, seat. And I don't know if you know who Bobby Jaggers was. Yes. Um, did you know who he was? Yes, I've, I've seen a lot. Of, I've seen a lot of his footage. Yeah. Anyway, so you know he he would sit up in the front and tell us stories about his Vietnam days. Yeah, I don't know whether he, you know, really was in Vietnam or not, but uh, it was really funny because we all would just sit there and listen to him and think, oh, this is such bullshit. But it, you know, it made the trip kind of go uh, was interesting, and and you know, any he'd always sit in the front seat and. We, you know, the, the newer guys are the ones that typically would have to drive. And so we would actually, you know, like get in the driver's seat and like Bobby would drive, maybe drive, you know, I don't know, the first three or four hours going one way. And so somebody else would take over from him and then, you know, we'd act like we were falling asleep and we'd go over to the side of the road and he would make us pull over and he'd drive the rest of the way. And we did that the whole whole time I was there. He drove most of the way because he was afraid that he was going to get killed. Now, by comparison, uh, you know, you've mentioned the Portland Territory uh, Drive. By comparison, what was it like in in Texas? Because obviously it's a little bit different. Like you said, it's a big state. What was what was the driving like in the uh, the touring in the territory that in comparison? Horrible. You know, there was a couple of times, you know, but very seldom that I ended up, you know, wrestling close to home. You know, I mean, it happened, but you know, more times than not, you know, you're driving from Dallas to San Antonio or Dallas to Amarillo or uh, you know those to West Texas, just those long, long drives, and. Uh, you know, I, it, it was brutal. So, you know, we'd have to leave early and then we'd wrestle and you'd have to wait till the, you know, the last match is on and then you have to take a shower and then you got to get something to eat. And by the time you're on the road, man, it's, you know, maybe 1130. So you're, you know, cruising back home. So you have to drop people off and you're cruising back home at, you know, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. Then you might sleep till 11, hope, you know, uh, 12 if you're working in another far town. And in my case, I was working a lot of, you know, two twice a night. You know, so I would have to, you know, drive. For, that one of them would be close and the other one, you know, would be far. It's actually the other way around. I would actually drive the furthest, you know, the first match and the second match might be, you know, or, uh, another hour and a half away. So... You know, maybe I'd work afternoon in one show and the evening in the other. They were closer. Maybe I'd be, uh, so many times I would be, uh, you know, uh, uh, the uh, first match. And then another town, I would be uh, the main event. You know, and there's so many times that, man, I was running late. And in those days, we didn't have, uh, you know, uh, you have to rely on a map people's directions it's not like today you know where you can actually you know you can you always know where you are that mm-hmm. was really tough who were some of the the, the guys you traveled with uh well i never traveled very well very seldom with Kerry. never with kevin never with mike uh brian adidas would travel with uh the young bloods i would travel with um 
you know, Steve Simpson always, you know, they told him, make sure whatever you do that you get Lance to the town on time. And I think he kind of resented that, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a way because he felt, you know, that why must it be his job to make sure that I get to the town on time? Mm-hmm. Now, um, we mentioned I, it. Uh, oh, excuse me. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, we were talking, we talked about it earlier. Um, after you left World Class, you know, you worked with uh, Wild West Wrestling. You you started working as Fabulous Lance. You also wrestled in uh, South Africa. But this is the interesting part of this, and like I told Vinny when I first started talking with him, this is the part of the story, of your story, that I've always found fascinating, is that after you left, Fritz goes on TV and basically announced the word that you were not Avon Eric, that this was your real name, and he going to let – but as time goes on, the fans, in reality, they blame you. They would, people tell me, oh, he wasn't a Von Eric. He was not, he's non Eric. He's a con Eric. You go in, you're given a job, your promoter says, this is what I want you to do. This is what you're going to wrestle as. Here's what I'm going to pay you to do this. You're doing your job. You're doing exactly what you're asked to do by the man who came up with this idea. But yet, for some odd reason, and to this day, they still do it, the fans blame you. I, how does that make you feel? What, what is your take on that? Because for me, I just don't understand how they can blame someone for doing their job. Well, I, I, that's the reason that I actually had written the book, because I actually wanted to, you know, at least in my mind, set it straight that that's, you know, they could have, you know, number one, the Von Eriks could have been what the, the um, Vince McMahon was, but they just like familiarity. Not they, I guess it was probably, you know, um, Fritz. You know, why why take a risk when you know it's working at home and you're making, you know, money? But he could have made us a lot more money. Uh, the reason I left was, quite frankly, because, you know, the money wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, if it had been what, you know, they told me it was going to be, you know, I had a sneaking suspicion, though. You know, in the first few matches that I went to, you know, they were big. You know, I came on the tail end of the kind of the, you know, and people told me that the wrestling, you know, in those days, because it was territories, you know, it, they had, uh, you know, peaks and valleys, you know, um, that each you know, each generation of people that watch the wrestling, you know, is actually, it, it, it falls off, and then another generation's coming up to watch, and then it picks up again, and that's, I was on the downward part. You know, I had started right at the time that, you know, wrestling was kind of dying down there in Dallas. They weren't drawing the big crowds, you know? Um, so, you know, that's the, that's the reason that I actually decided that I wanted to leave because, you know, and quite frankly, you know, I was making big money before I actually even wrestled, mm-hmm. as you guys were telling me. They saw me drive in a, in a Jaguar up to the, you know, sportatorium. I remember a couple of people like George Weingroff had said, why do you want to get into wrestling? You know, and I said, right. I said well, to, to make money, you know, and they're like, <laughs> maybe, maybe you need to rethink this. You know, and I, they didn't know that, you know, I was going to be a liar, so I thought that would make a difference in my pay, which it, it didn't. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, since you, you worked in this part, like you said, you came in around 85, 86, which was the tail end. That was after David had passed. Mike, and basically, once that all started happening, that was kind of the, well, beginning of the, the end. They ran until uh, 1990s when it finally when it finally closed down. But, you know, from your experience in the ring and working in with the fans and there and all that, what is it about the Von Erichs and the Von Erich name that to this day fans still idolize them? They idolize them, and then they blame you for not being one. What 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 is it that is that tangible that the fans are still attracted to this day? Do you think? Yeah, you know, I thought about that. I I, I really don't know, and it depends. Like, you can kind of tell. You know, I I had somebody had posted a. You know, I they're on my Facebook, and it's a you know as a, a person of color, a guy, and he posted something, and he said uh, Kamala how Paris is you know hot looking, and he says, and he says, do you think any does anybody else think it? And I think I, I said, well, she's attractive, and I don't normally, you know, uh, post things on say to people that I don't know, but and then two minutes later, some girl had written, you know that. She goes, uh, she goes, that non-Von Eric, I'll have nothing to hear, you know, from you, non-Von Eric. <laughs> I just looked at the picture and, you know, I, I actually, you know, uh, clicked on to her and looked at the picture and the picture of her, and I, I hate to say this, but she just looked, I don't know, just very, very, very ordinary. And, you know, it, it's funny because, and I don't know if it's, not that everybody that's very ordinary looking is, you know, not intelligent, but she just, just the, by the way she posted stuff, you could tell she's just kind of ignorant. And, uh, and mm-hmm. I think that that type of fan, you know, uh, they believe what they want to believe, you know, and they're not going to believe it, you know, and that be, you know, they're not going to believe anything else. I, just think, I think it's absolutely I, amazing I, myself. Well, I, I thought, wow, you know, and I, the guy, the, the, the guy of color, he says, he says, yeah, it's funny, it's, I just consider that case, you know, I mean, I, and she goes, well, you can believe what you want to believe, meaning he was, you know, saying, well, you know, it's all a, you know, it's all a work. That's what he was kind of implying. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I just thought it was funny. Yes, I know. People are shocked to find out, you know, that Yokozuna wasn't Japanese or, uh, and in reality, you know, the Von Erichs aren't really Von Erichs. Obviously, we all know their last name is Adkison and it's a character, but it's a gimmick and a character that basically they live their lives around. So, you know, everything in wrestling has got a little bit of a story to it. Well, yeah, it's like watching Sylvester Stallone and, you know, him being a, you know, a, a good guy for, you know, all his movies, and then he becomes a villain in one of the movies, and these people are upset because, you know, he's a villain. It's a movie, you know, <laughs> but they just can't separate it. You know, I find it funny. Now, after World Class, you went on and you said you wrestled in uh, South Africa. Uh, you also wrestled in Puerto Rico. You know, what were some of your experiences from there? Because uh, I talked with Black Bart one time, and he told me a story about him, and uh, I believe it was Bill Irwin went over to South Africa for, on a tour, and they said they called it the Looking for Lance tour, just as a joke. But what were some of kind of you know your experiences in South Africa and Puerto Rico? Because especially in Puerto Rico, obviously that was a very uh, you know kind of a hotbed territory at one point. 
Now, well, you know, I wasn't really, um, I didn't spend a lot of time in Puerto Rico. I mean, I, in, in South Africa, what I liked about South Africa was I could work when I wanted to work. You know, if I hadn't been, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have to, you know, I, I had open health clubs. And, you know, I, it's, there was some place that I hadn't done, like Singapore, then I would go. If I didn't want to go, you know, then I, I didn't go. I didn't need the money. You know, and funny enough, I was making a lot more money in South Africa, even with the difference in exchange rate, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, at that time I was doing television commercials and making movies and, you know, doing a lot of stuff. So for me, you know, I was over equally as I was as a Von Eric, um, but in South Africa. And quite frankly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have left if the... Uh, you know, the uh, not that I was a fan of the apartheid, but, you know, I knew that the government that was going to come in was going to be um, not good for business, which it hasn't been. Um, mm. And uh, I'd still be there today, you know, if things hadn't you know, turned around like they did in South Africa. You know, I mean, working, I'm, you know, I spent mm. six months in Mexico and six months in South Africa. But, I mean, as far as working, I wouldn't have ever left uh, South Africa. Now, during your years out of the ring, uh, who are some of the, you know, with the guys that, you know, you kept in touch with over the over the years? You know, are there still some of the guys that, you know, you worked with that you still, you know, talk with to this day? And Well, you know, Jerry Gray, I, I, I talked to, he's, you know, he's got stage four colon cancer, and he's been hanging on for the last four years. So I, I do talk to him. I have some, you know, a lot of good memories of him. I do speak to Steve Simpson occasionally. Um, um, the uh, the young bloods, I actually occasionally say how's it to them. All the South Africans mm-hmm. I still do quite regularly. I, you know, and when I go back, I see them. But aside from that, really... You know, nobody, I don't watch wrestling. I haven't watched it since, uh, you know, since Dallas, really. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we'll fast forward to now. Uh, you know, you said that Vinny reached out to you and said, hey, if you'd ever like to write a book, and you'd say, you know what, let's give it a shot. Um, obviously, the book is, is selling very well. Uh, I'm a huge fan of it. I think it's great because, like I said, there's a lot of holes in your story that, I've been told now, and as a historian, I keep it as a resource material now because you fill in a lot of the blanks uh, that people don't know about. Because it's not just a book about your career in the ring. It's a, it's a book about world class at that time, you know, while you were there. Now, when you're working with uh, Vinny on the book, you know, what were some of the – what were some of the things you wanted to get across? And are there some things that, you know, you just decided to, you know, keep under wraps and all that? Because obviously there was a little bit of, you know, you know, kind of some rough areas during that time as well. But what were some of the things you wanted to tell and maybe, you know, were there some things that you decided that, you know, nobody needs to know at this time? There's a lot of stuff I I could have told, but I didn't because, you know, the book wasn't to, you know, to, you know, lay blame on other people or say it was, you know, the their fault that things turned out the way they did. You know, it wasn't at all to do that. It was actually to just kind of, say what happened, why I did leave, you know, um, but mm-hmm. the, the problem with writing a book the way we wrote it is, you know, I'm 
just telling Vinny, you know, everything that comes up to, you know, comes to my mind. And what ends up happening, every time I got off the phone, I would say, think, you know, I forgot to tell him about this. And there's a lot of stories. It's not only the, you know, the the wrestling and world class, but it's, you know, I, I was on an airplane that got hijacked or, you know, I mean, they considered it a hijack. I was, you know, uh, on a bomb that got, I mean, on a train that got bombed in India. You know, it's it's a lot of stories that came because of the wrestling, but, you know, uh, it's things that happened to me along the way. Riding a bicycle to the Congo, you know, it's just a lot of, you know, a lot of cool things that happened to me that, you know, I got to travel that I, you know, probably wouldn't have ever, you know, done if I hadn't have, you know, kind of been pushed the way that I was, you mm-hmm. know, meaning outside the, the world class. So, now, what are you hoping that, you know, readers get out of this book? I hope it entertains them, and I hope they, you know, see maybe, you know, through my eyes what I had to go through, you know. Kevin reached out to me, funny enough, I don't think he's ever had anything really, you know, uh, really good to say, even the, you know, the quote on the back of the, you know, the book, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he he surprised me and, you know, reached out to buy a Vinny and uh, sent an email and said, you know, listen, I've seen it through, a, I never saw, had seen it through, you know, your eyes. I think that he felt betrayed 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 whenever I'd actually left the way world class the way I did because I didn't say anything I just said I'm not coming back you know and mm. I'm guessing he thought that he gave me such a wonder or they gave me such a wonderful you know uh, opportunity they did but without money <laughs> you know so so uh, you know where I made my money is doing you know appearances and commercials you know, and selling my pictures. It wasn't from the wrestling itself. But anyway, um, what happened was, we, you know, I, I, I could have I could have written another 300 pages, but then he finally said, you know, I'm done. You know, I don't want to keep on. It will never be finished with this. It could take 20 years, and it could have. You know, so at that time, we had to, you know, figure out what he said he had enough. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot more to it that I could have. You know, and there are people that actually have written me and said, why didn't you put me in the book? Why didn't you put me in the book? You know, like, <laughs> because I couldn't. You know, it was just too much information. Now, based on uh, reader response and uh, sales on it, would you consider possibly a second book, maybe, you know, to kind of, you know, fill in more of the story? Or do you think this is, you know, the book that can just basically tell us what you need to say? That one. I think you ought to ask uh, Vinny that one because <laughs> 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 he'd have to put up with another couple of years of me. I don't know. What do you think, Vinny? Is there a second book in there? You know, maybe you know, maybe no, no, no. if we go in a different direction, but I mean, as far as covering this, I, I don't know how we would be able to rehash this. Right. And I, when I, I, I was pretty pleased about what we covered in this book and how we covered it. And, and like you said, you know, a lot of people come out to me, especially on some of the pages that we, the group pages that we visit, and uh, people come out and, and automatically they're like, well, it's a book about Lance. And, you know, and it, 
I, I say this all the time. Yeah, it is, but it's, you know, you're really going to get a lot of stuff out of that book. I, I, I'm pretty pleased if, if, uh, if there's never a, another book about written about world class championship wrestling, you could read this one and, and be done with the story. I, I think the amazing thing for me is I read the, you know, I was hesitant to read it, you know, and, uh, it, it, it's kind of like making a, I don't know if you've ever done a movie, but it's kind of like watching yourself act, you know, mm-hmm. or watching yourself wrestle too, you know, you just, it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever recorded yourself in your voice, it doesn't sound anything like what you thought it should sound like. It sounds strange. Mm-hmm. So I was afraid if I read the book, you know, that I wouldn't be happy with with the book. And in reality, you know, he had kept asking me questions about the, I hate to tell you this, but he kept asking me questions about the book. And I read little parts of it, but I didn't read the whole book. I don't know if he knew this or not. And then he he said, well, have you read the book? You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I hung up and I read the you know, I read the whole book, you know, because it came to me in chapters over, you know, sent by email. So I read the whole book, and I actually read it from start to finish, which for me, um, it, I was impressed. He did a really, really good job writing it, you know, and, and I had told him afterwards that, you know, he really did. And uh, he made it interesting, too, you know, and he put it together. And, you know, it's... It's one thing where I had a hard time was with world class because I pushed that all out of my mind. So what he ended up doing is fact-checking me, you know, calling other people to make sure that what I was telling them was, you know, kind of the same thing. You know, and everybody can have a little bit of a different recall, but, you know, um, you know, so so he he did check it out. And there were some dates that I, you know, got wrong, had got wrong, and, you know, they fixed that and you know, I mean, I just, I knew the, you know, kind of the time, but to say it was, you know, December 25th. So he did a lot of fact-checking. He wanted to make sure everything was right. Yeah, that's one of the ways that, uh, that's how Vinny and I came into into contact with each other, is he had reached out to me through a reference from someone else to kind of help him get in touch with people and check some of the facts. So that's kind of how Vinny and I, I hooked up, and I've been, you know, a major supporter of the work he's been doing because as a historian and world class is kind of my focus territory. I've always been fascinated by, you know, your story. And one last question before we uh, wrap this up, you know, your wrestling, you know, like I said, it was in the 85, 86. You didn't have obviously the internet and social media and, you know, the channels, but now your matches, interviews, footage, you know, the book, obviously people are able to talk about you. How, how do you, what what does that mean to you now, knowing that there's a generation of fans that they weren't even born when you were wrestling in the time, and now they can go and watch your stuff on YouTube or through social media, and they're enjoying it and, you know, all everything else going on. How does that make you feel that, you know, at the time, you know, this this was your job, but now it's it's etched in stone. You It's still available to multiple generations. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I actually I wish they could watch the South African portion of it because I actually learned how to wrestle in South Africa, you know, versus um, trying to to learn how to wrestle in in Dallas. You know, it was a a huge undertaking to just be thrown into the middle of all these people that had been wrestling for a long time and they were, you know, very well known. 
you know, um, mm -hmm. and it was tough. You know, it really was. And uh, so um, I wish that they would get the, the South African, you know, and I tried to actually hunt down stuff from South Africa, and I can't, you can't even find it, you know, like, you know, and looking in the States, you can go to the Dallas Morning News if it's, I guess if they're still in business, you know, their archives, and you could find anything. Mm -hmm. South Africa, it's not, you, you, you can't. I mean, it's very difficult. Maybe you could in person. I don't know. I'm going to try next time. So, uh, but, uh, no, I think it's great. I mean, who would have ever thought that during that time that we would be able to, you know, go back and see stuff instantaneously, you know, instantaneously on the, the Internet. Now, before we wrap this up, is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners and before we end this interview. No, if you, even if you're not a, you know, a wrestling fan, or if you're not a, you know, a Lance fan, uh, you'll like the book. You know, it's a, it's a lot more than just, you know, the. And if you are a, you know, a fan of the world class wrestling, you'll, you'll learn some stuff you might not have known. You probably don't know. So, uh, read the book. All right, well, Lance, I'd like to thank you for joining us. And, Vinny, I'd like to thank you for joining us as well. The book is Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You can order it at www.lancebychance.com. Uh, I believe there are still autographed copies available. Is that correct, Vinny? Yes, that's correct. And what are, what, just for our listeners' information, what are the prices on the book? The signed book is twenty four ninety five, and the unsigned book is nineteen ninety five. All right, once again, gentlemen, thank you for joining us, Lance. I really enjoyed sitting down and having this interview with you. And uh, maybe somewhere down the road we can get back together again and do a little follow-up, maybe tell some more South Africa stories. But, you know, thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Only a pleasure. And if you're down in Baja, California, uh, if you're coming this way, let me know. <laughs> All right, thank you, Lance. Thank you for joining us. All right.